Welcome to Unlearn, where we talk to industry leaders about unlearning how we go to market. I'm Kelly Sarabin, and I run tech partner enablement and advocacy at HubSpot. And I'm Asher Matthew, co-founder of Partnership Leaders. The old ways of going to market are getting more expensive and less effective. To thrive in an era of digital transformation, you have to go to market differently. Let's find out how. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearn Podcast. Uh, today, we actually have a super special guest uh, who's actually uh, very well known for starting trouble in companies with their partner programs. At least that's the story that we were told, you know. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Asher. How's it going? So, uh, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? Because I think our, our like a lot of people know you, but just for the sake of our audience to also be introduced to you, we should just... Knows who I am. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I think what you're, what you're referring to there is that I started the HubSpot partner program against the yeah. uh, wishes of Brian and Darmesh um, and, and then ultimately grew it. Uh, I grew, you know, I led the team and grew the program to about 130 million ARR. So it worked out okay for everybody. Um, it's now, you know, a billion dollar business. Um, yep. So, um, but yeah, it was, I started it, but I guess I caused a little trouble. Um, actually, Brian, who's uh, Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, uh, was just being interviewed by Mark Roberts, who was my boss at HubSpot and ran sales. Um, and Brian was telling the story the other, just the other day. And he talked about how he told me not to even call the leads, not to call the marketing agency leads. And I ignored him um, and did it. And then his, his version of the story is that I was hitting 400% of quota a month later, but it didn't take, it took a few more than, it took a little bit longer than a month, but was able to, to uh, grow HubSpot sales as a result of starting the partner program there. So I think that's what you're finding. I, I got to tell you, the first time I heard the story, I was like, wait, this doesn't sound true, but it sounds exciting. So <laughs> you know, not knowing that it is actually Are true. Are you calling him a liar? No, I didn't say it's a liar. I was just like, this is a, this is a sound like a liar. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> How big was HubSpot at the time? Because obviously now HubSpot is, is quite large. But um, um... So officially started the program in like 2009, but that was after some, you know, some success already. So it was probably 2008 is when I started working with agencies for like, you know, a good portion of my time. Um, I was a sales rep. So I was the 15th employee and then the fourth sales rep. And I had a quota just like every other sales rep. And um, we were generating these uh, leads. HubSpot was obviously good from the beginning at generating leads. And a good portion of the leads, like 20%, were marketing agencies, marketing consultants. And the sales team, um, you know, the sales team would uh, waste a lot of time with them. They uh, Initially, every new salesperson would be like, oh, I got this agency or consultant that has five clients and they're going to bring five of their clients on board with HubSpot. And so the salesperson would get really excited and the agency would never show up to the second call. Um, and so I knew I figured out how to sell to them effectively and not get five clients on it once usually, but, but get them to get their, get their, their clients on board eventually. So, um, yeah, so it was pretty early. This is, this is great. I mean, th- I mean th- there's this, uh, statement that people say that a lot of like shitty salespeople go to, go to, uh, go to partnerships, but I would say <laughs> we should make this podcast a poster child for, no, actually people that really can build businesses go to partnerships, you know? So, uh, yeah. To you. So the, the difference, I think, I think the mistake that a lot of software companies make when they build a partnership program is they think, 
oh, our product is great and we can sell it. So other people should think our products are great and they'll want to sell it. And in reality, that's not how it works at HubSpot at all. And I I think it's also um, not the optimal way to build a partner program um, or a program either. That's great. And so the selling was truly consultative. We had to break down a marketing agency's business and help them rebuild it, rethink how to do it. Uh, yeah. And you couldn't do that by pitching them software or explaining how awesome their software would be for the clients. It was much more about what uh, the program could do to help the agency improve their cash flow, grow their revenue, all that stuff. And that takes a lot more time. So I don't, I've heard your story before from various people, including sure. I think an article you wrote, but is it correct that you were partly doing this essentially on your own time? Because I think one of the challenges partner people face, right, is like when you have a, a, a business that's motivated on the very much on the direct motion, they don't necessarily see the value is how do you prove out the value enough to get them to invest the resources to make it sustainable, right? And I think why I asked about the size of the company, I think it's very different when you're trying to ramp it up in a, in a smaller company than a company that say is 8,000 people. But yeah. what was your experience even, at, you know, in the earlier stage of the time is, is did you have to take it on your own time, build out those resources that you're talking about on your own time, show enough subtraction, and then they were like, oh, okay, let's give you some more headcount. Let's give you some more bandwidth. Um, yeah, it was a little more contentious than that. But yes, that was, that was a basic <laughs> idea. Um, so yeah, we were in sales. I had a quota. The more I sold, the more money I made. I was motivated. Um, we, you know, It was an early stage startup. And so we got stock. I think my first stock options were 17 cents. And you, know, you probably know, but HubSpot stock price is just around $450 right now. So um, so that worked out um, pretty well. <laughs> I was very motivated. Um, the culture was just like, go figure stuff out. Like it's a lot different than it is now at HubSpot. Um, and so, yeah, I just started calling those leads. I had um, run a business before um, where I sold marketing services. We actually had software that we had built, but we sold services along with it. Um, and so I kind of understood some of the problems inherent in an agency. I also went through some really intense consultative sales training and coaching. And so I spent a lot of, t- I spent a lot of time learning how to sell well. And, and so therefore when I started talking to agencies, I would talk to them about their whole business and really figure out the problems and validate what the problems were, uh, to the point where I could, you know, get on a call and in 40 minutes, convince them to change their business model. Um, so yeah, Which is but it was right? a very it's, different time. Yeah, very. Yeah, different no, this time. is this is great because it validates that companies normally, you know, when they want to start an office in another country or open another vertical, they almost always send some of their top salespeople to go do this work. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to partnerships, they're like, oh, yeah, again, that's that world is changing now, right? Like, like that's not what's happening right now because you want to survive in partnerships yeah. if you were. Surely, yeah. uh, say a salesperson, anyways, right? So, right. Uh, but it's it, the 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 notion should be that you should send some of your top sales and marketing talent to go figure out a new route to market, yeah. because that's what you would do any for anything else. Also, you would, you would. That's a great point, great parallel. Yeah, you don't even send wouldn't send your worst salespeople to go figure out a new market. And, <laughs> and just to, just to add to it, Kelly probably knows G two Matani. He's a good personal friend of mine. In fact, the business that I started. Um, before HubSpot was with him, um, and uh, and he now runs services. But he opened every office uh, internationally for HubSpot. He went over and wow. opened the, the Dublin office as the managing director, and and grew international to I, I, I don't know what it is exactly, but forty ish percent of of HubSpot's revenue. 
And he actually spent a bunch of time in the partner world. And when they opened offices, the, one of the first things they do, we would find good partners to partner with in different countries. And so um, parallel parallel story. I get your point is different, but I think something you said too is like that's so important that partner you still see partner programs for getting to do the work on is that persona work which it sounds like you already had a lot of the persona dialed in which accelerated your ability to deliver but I think a lot of times it's so obvious in the customer journey right we have whole teams of people doing customer research doing customer interviews really let's put that ideal customer profile down we we have their all their little uh, their pictures their roles their interests Doing the same work as part of your partner program is essential, right? Because then Absolutely. you can have those conversations that take 45 minutes instead of trying to pitch them for months because you don't even know what they care about. Yeah, yeah. And and you still see partner programs not investing not in that, that properly. No. Yeah. What, I, what I see frequently in earlier stage SaaS companies is um, they they reach out to me and like, hey, we heard about you building the partner program. Could we get a half hour of your time to pick your brain about ours? And I'll get on the call and they're like, well, we think we have five different partner targets. <laughs> and this is like a series A backed company. And like, and they, they don't even know one of them well. They just like, they had one example maybe of each. And they're like, we think we can do this and this. Or they read about different companies doing it. I'm like, you got to pick one and you got to know that one intimately. And that's fortuitously what happened at HubSpot for me, right? It's like, I happened to know one and I, we, uh, we had all those leads coming in and, and I spent enough time to understand the persona. It was probably like a year or two into the program before we defined Partner Paul. I don't know if they still have a persona for par- solution partners at HubSpot anymore. If it has, I'm sure it's evolved. But um, but yeah, we had Partner Paul after a little while. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, I mean, this is the Unlearned Podcast. So we actually talk about go-to-market topics there, even though Kelly and I are very deep in uh, the, the, part- the partner world. But we always start with like, what's top of mind for you, Pete? Obviously, the story that we were told was very interesting for us to hear too. But what, what's what's top of mind for you? It's all good. Um, top of mind for me, I'm build I'm building another partner program uh, at DataBox, and that's that's top of mind for me. Spending a lot of time on it. Um, I think one of the in the parallel like connection between HubSpot is that I'm trying to build like a business model for for companies to run, and I think that's similar to what we did at HubSpot early on, where we taught these agencies a business model um and so that's really where where i'm focused is like that uh is like how do i help a consultant marketing agency etc um leverage data box to build a consulting business so can you explain for the audience really quickly what data box is sure yeah we're analytics software um most people know us as reporting and dashboard we've evolved uh, a lot since uh uh from that but the core use case that people search us out for and end up trying us out for is to pull performance data from multiple different tools into one spot so that they can build custom dashboards, custom reports, um, and, and more closely manage or monitor or report on the performance of their business. Uh, we also have more advanced features in the product, such as uh, benchmarking to be able to compare performance to other com- similar companies, forecasting, um, uh, generative AI that spits out um, how your company is performing in text um, and other more advanced things that we're working on, um, all all geared towards trying to make it simpler for companies to really um, not just know how they're performing, but think through what they should do next in order to improve um, improve their performance. And, and and that's what you're doing today, right? But what do you ultimately want to accomplish with DataBox? 
I'll build the matrix. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so would you be the key maker then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't care who's the key maker. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I think like in most small businesses, small mid-sized businesses, um, data is usually an afterthought. Um, it's usually pulled together in a month end or quarter end deck and doesn't really factor into day-to-day management or month to month tweaks to, you know, activities or projects. And, and I think rarely even gets, gets, uh, is an input to annual planning. And I, and and we want to change that. We want to, we want to help companies leverage data at all levels of the organization, uh, to make smarter decisions on a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual basis. And to do that, and, and, and I'm assuming it's all go-to-market data from that process. What's that? Sorry, I was saying, uh, I'm assuming this is all go-to-market data that you're focused on. Um, or ultimately, like, no, you want all go-to-market. Um, we have built a lot of integrations um, yeah. with software for sales marketing service. Uh, HubSpot right. is one of our bigger. Yeah, you have tons uh, of installs areas. in the HubSpot marketplace. I know yeah. that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, Google and the Facebook products, like, we have all those integrations. And I think marketers tend to have a lot of data. Um, and so we've built a lot of integration for marketers, but we also have integrations with CRMs, finance systems. Um, and then our biggest, uh, most popular integrations are, um, people connecting to data warehouses, SQL data warehouses and spreadsheets. Um, and so we're, we have people really monitoring almost any part of the business using the software. It's very interesting what you're you're doing, because I feel like, you know, post like, Aaron Ross's predictable revenue and like uh, every CMO out there saying brand is dead, demand is the new thing or Chris Walker and all these people. Like, like, like I feel like the data drivenness of, our, of go-to-market has been around for like 10 years and yet you still are building a company that helps, helps startups or even like scale-ups for that matter uh, get better at managing their data. Yeah, I don't think people are very good at like, I, I know Aaron Ross and read his book and actually contributed to his book. The last chapter was written by me. So I know that really well. I don't think that's very predictable. <laughs> I think that's a like an old school way of building a funnel uh, yep. through cold email. Like I don't think uh, most companies are really operating to the point where they're, you know, me- measuring everything that, that can be measured and monitoring that for, you know, regular improvements. Um, I think Mark's book, Mark Roberge's book, The Sales Acceleration mm-hmm. Formula, is a much more data-driven way to build a sales org um, in terms of managing it and everything. But um, but I still think it's still just scratching the surface in terms of what's possible. Um, for example, I have a, um, a benchmark that I built. It has um, 70 of HubSpot's top solutions partners in it. Uh, and in there, I can monitor the median performance of those 70 companies and the top quartile and the bottom quartile and see like what the trends are. Um, and I can see very, very clear trends uh, and then point that back out to them. But they don't know that, right? They have no clue that, oh, if their traffic is down, is that the same for other companies like them? Um, yeah. And knowing that is is really valuable to know, all right, well, maybe we need to adapt our strategy and it's not doing what our other peers or our competitors are doing. Um, and so I think there's so much more that we could be doing with data uh, to inform inform strategic. And do you aggregate that from customers anonymously sharing it on your platform? 
We do. Yeah, we actually have a free product um, that we launched uh, a little over nine months ago called Benchmarks. And if you go to benchmarks.databox.com, anyone can opt in. We have tens of thousands of companies opted in. Um, and they can connect any number of data sources from HubSpot to GA, Search Console, ad platforms, et cetera, and then, and then pick who they want to compare it to. So if they want to compare it to by company size or industry. Um, we also have the ability to let our partners create these groups where they control exactly who's in the group. So like I, I use that functionality to build a group of just Platinum Plus partners, for example. Um, so And those Platinum partners all opted in, yes, anonymously. Yeah, it's super valuable. I mean, I think, you know, larger companies, right, they rely on these analyst market wide reports for the industries. And, and A, those are astronomically expensive. But B, they're really only applicable at a certain aggregated level. But I think that you're providing, um, to your point, like for ecosystem specific, or it could be it could be any like, um, new product category in SaaS, right? It could be anything where there's not going to have that industry-wide data or enough data. You really need to hone in on the niche. Yep. And super valuable to disaggregate, especially right now when the economic conditions are so troubled, right? It's easy to be like, oh, my business isn't doing well because the economy is bad. But like, is that really the case? And looking right, at something know. like the benchmark where it's like, oh, wait, all other Platinum Partners traffic is going <laughs> up. So actually, it's probably my bad marketing play. Um, that's, exactly. That just sounds super yeah. valuable for mid-market and small companies and, and some large companies too or in particular niches that don't get good coverage yeah no so, you, so this you, is actually pretty you couldn't have, i couldn't have said it better yep yeah i mean this is actually pretty innovative because on the back side of this you i mean do you have a consulting service at least today or or maybe your solution partner program that can go help these companies with uh Yes. Uh, yeah, so we're approaching, right. So we just started bringing on partners um, okay. with this product and uh, we're approaching hundred partners and we're signing up like 10, 10 a week. Um, and we're allowing them to do all the consulting. I don't want to be in the consulting business, um, yeah. but what the software allows them to do is create their own group. So for example, yeah. um, we have a partner that only works with, does marketing work for uh, mental and behavioral health clinics and they have 200 clients. So they created a benchmark added all their clients with permission. And now they can go to any of their clients or any of their prospects and say, hey, we we know how your Facebook ads and your Google ads should be performing because we have data anonymized across 200 clients. Would you like to see how you compare? And it allows them to go in and, 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 and compare. Um, and, Asher, and- you need to create a benchmark around communities. Oh, totally. No, no. So what, what, what I'm thinking of right now, as Pete is saying this, right, is essentially you've created a data co-op, right? I think in a... Yeah, it's fair. Right yeah, yeah, it's free for everybody, basically. So. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. And, and then the... the uh, and, and what you've done is almost like data box. A version of this could be like data box for partner teams. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, Stripe and Avalara and Sage and all these companies should have instances of this for their own partners. And when you go to like partners.sage.com, it should literally just show you in America, like this is the win rate for partners. And in like like LATAM, here's the win rate for partners here and stuff like that. And there's like the median traffic by size and people can just like do a whole bunch of other things. And the the how good am I doing? Kind of it's like self-serve, you know, the partner manager doesn't have to be tasked with like, oh, run all these reports to figure out like, how good your partners are doing. It's literally like shows on a graph. Yep. Um, we, we used to do this at Avalara. So like, like okay. just like similar to your story, like I was employed number 80 at Avalara 
and, uh, and and we used to use like Tableau or dashboards to kind of like create these snapshots to send to partners and stuff. Yeah. But what you're doing is if you're already plugged in into their 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 traffic and some of their other uh, uh, systems, uh, creating creating a dashboard that people just like customize for themselves. I think that's actually super powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have seventy integrations out of the box. So like okay. that that allow people to just go in and benchmark themselves. Um, what you're talking about is very similar to actually something we had at HubSpot, and I don't I don't know if HubSpot still has it, but we we built um, what did we call it? Um, shoot, I forget. But it was basically a quiz that or an assessment that the partner would take, uh, yep. and we also had their data about you know how how their clients or they use the product, and so we combined those yeah. two into a report that will allow them yeah. to see the um, correlation between like the things that they were doing with their performance. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think, it, I think it's gone now. I think. I'll, yeah. I've mean, yeah. not heard of it. doesn't mean it's not there, but I haven't heard of it, but that's not, that sounds, that sounds valuable. By the way, Kelly, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this, that's what we're going for is the other piece of our benchmark tool is, uh, is a survey component. And so when we partner up with someone, we're not just allowing them to build a benchmark of KPIs, but they can also run a survey. And ultimately, our goal is to be able to compare how people answer the question to questions of the surveys to their actual performance. Oh, that would be super interesting because, um, <laughs> so and I and it would be different for different populations, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. and people don't really fully appreciate that. Like, this, the groups are self-selecting for certain traits. So, like, if you ask. Uh, product people, my guess is for certain types of questions, they're going to be more on the point. You ask salespeople or partner people, they're probably a little more delusional about certain <laughs> things. <laughs> but, yeah. but but you'll you need the data to know, right? Like you need right. to you need to cross check. So I yeah, love that just idea. Lost forty percent of our audience by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they come here to like. <laughs> It's like Just moving saying. forward, I will be doing this podcast by myself. <laughs> Actually, be empathetic towards our audience, not just vilify them. Yeah. Uh, but to answer answer Kelly's question around the community piece, so I was just at CMX Summit um, maybe a week or so ago, and the tech stacks for communities is like I would say in worse shape than like tech stacks for like partners. You know, I mean, like when yeah, I was there, saying something. <laughs> No, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, though. you have brand communities, which, which you know, like, you Walmart would say, we have a community, right? Mm-hmm. Or Atlassian or Notion would say, we have communities, right? And then you have these business communities, something like what partnership leaders and some of these other companies are, yeah. uh, uh, communities are building. And then there's a distinct business model, right? The brand communities need different uh, metrics. And then the business communities actually need to be integrated into like HubSpot and like Slack and like you yeah. name it. Like th- this is actually more B2B than anything else. Yeah. And then, and then, and then the metrics of like, how do you me- measure engagement? Is it like a like, is it a view, the, the lurkers, which bucket are the lurkers in and which bucket are the participator uh, right. participating in? I mean, this play yeah, and you're probably like, trying to sell things versus a brand right. is just trying correct, to get community correct. and connection. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And so, so, so it's it's, a, it's very, very, very. Um, at least when we were there, we were like, "Wow, you know, uh, we feel like partner teams are uh, don't have a lot of resources. Like community teams 
like literally don't have anything. Like, like there were like maybe like nine companies that are building stuff for them. Well, it's interesting too because some brands have bought existing communities. It was either like Pendo or Amplitude who bought Mind the Product, right? Which yep. was this, and so I don't know that we have enough data points on that yet. But it'll be really interesting to see. A does that work? Because even though brands usually aren't trying to sell anything too explicitly, there's that's the ultimate goal, right? So there's always do you have the skill set to run this effectively and keep it clean? Because the danger with the community, um, and this is true of a community that's a professional community or brand owned, yeah. is you tilt too far in the direction, right? But you have to maintain some control, but it's kind of like behind the scenes and in the structure versus being too pushy in front of it. So it's really interesting. But but yeah, the so, tooling around so, is kind of like the dark social tooling. It's It's still... Right. nascent yeah. stays and, and it is always coming up against the creepiness factor right of like how far do we want to go in monitoring connections yeah. and dms and like the things that people find valuable about a community so the nvidia community leader was there and uh um and the they have like i want to say maybe like over a million people in their community wow yeah and they use it purely for upsells <laughs> okay. they actually don't use it for <laughs> new business acquisition so it was very like i was sitting there for a dinner and just listening to this lady and she's like yeah you know the community stack sucks i'm like i totally agreed but like what what are you working on and tell me a little about yourself and she's like yeah we have like 1.5 million people in our community this is nvidia right like and yeah, we have yeah. gamers and then we have like they had they had it very well segmented and so so then naturally like halfway through the conversation i'm like what do you use your community for? Because you're in video, you have like distributors, people that right. OEM your products, like you have everything, every channel on the planet is like working for right. you, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Like, what do you use it for? She's like, upsells. Huh. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. And I wonder why more people on like, let's say in our SaaS world don't use communities for upsells and they just try to use communities for like landing and uh, Landing new new customers you versus know, most, the users. Most companies don't have the, uh, the the number of SKUs and the ability to. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, right? <laughs> In fact, I think yeah. that uh, somebody told me that was the hot topic at Saster this year. Was like, how do we launch new products and sell them? Yeah, you know, so that we can sell more to our install base. So I think most SaaS companies are still single product or, um, yep. you know, or figuring out their yeah. stuff. Which we'll figuring out our our second product. Yeah. Which is probably another full day conference of like, well, how do you launch a product when you're a SaaS company? Because like yeah. every single company, even at, by the way, even like this, this may be too much information on this podcast, but even at partnership leaders were like, well, how do you launch a feature for a member? You know? And, and then, and then Krista and I are sitting there thinking, wow, collectively between the four of us, we have been through 14 companies, right? And we still messed up a feature launch. And so, well, maybe you should hire a product marketer. You don't exactly, know that people totally. do this for a living, Asher. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, like like we're we're very like small. <laughs> I know. So, exactly. So we don't have all these resources, but but it's amazing because every single company that I've been at, um, where 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 was a startup, uh, like had this problem with like how do we launch a feature. Yeah, it's not it's not easy. Not Join easy. the product marketing alliance. Join that yeah. community and get some good tips. But um, wait, is it Pete or Peter? Because your name says Pete. Peter, but I thought like, I'm Pete. sorry, I always type Peter. But okay, um, I have a question for you because 
you're, you're a CEO, you're a founder, right? What do you think about this new term? I don't know. I assume you're at Inbound 2022 where HubSpot's like community-led growth. It's a new thing. Yeah. But it is a thing, right? Like, but nobody knows exactly what it means because it could mean partners. It could mean communities like Pavilion and partnership leaders. Right. It could mean a lot of other things. How do you think about that as a founder um, of a SaaS company? Is that something you even think is a viable strategy or are you just looking at it as direct and partner led? How, how are you framing it for your own company? Uh, so just to be just to be clear, out of respect, I am not the uh, for the founder. I am not the founder. I joined the company as CEO. Just oh, to, my God, not, sorry. No, doesn't matter. I just want to put so much research, Kelly. Yeah. Them, <laughs> I think we're okay um, launching our features. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, to answer your question, I'm totally on board with all these movements. There's multiples, right? There's a community led. There's partner led. There's near bound from the guys and the guys and gals that reveal. Um, I actually. I'm working on my own methodology, which I've started sharing with people that I call collaborative growth, which is really about integrating partnerships through marketing first. Um, but uh, but so, yeah, I'm totally on board with it. I think it's so nascent. There's no clear like one. There, I don't think there's one way to go about it yet. And I don't know that there ever will be one way to go about it. Like. Like I mentioned earlier, people get on calls with me and say, like, we're thinking about these five different channels. And I think those five different channels will always exist. A small company will never be able to capitalize on five different channels, but there's different ways to go about through partnerships. I think, Kelly, you, you're you 100% focused in on you know, SaaS partnerships, right, with HubSpot, right? right. Mm-hmm. Companies like us at Databox. And um, I'm very obsessed with um, how do how do we work with consultants and marketing agencies? And there's distributors, there's, you know, for products, you go through retailers, like there's all these affiliates, right? There's all these different things. And then of course, hosting a community and all that. So I don't know that we'll ever have one method. I, I look at it as like, you got to pick one when you're a small company and go with it. And then when you get to 8,000 employees, like HubSpot, you can do four or five. Five different strategies. <laughs> exactly. yeah, no, it- um, but yeah. It's, it's so true. I mean, like as if you hire a startup CRO, mm-hmm. that person is not going after SMB, middle market, enterprise sales all at the same time. Like they yeah. would be fired very quickly and they wouldn't yeah. have the resource. They would just be yeah. going nuts, right? Yeah. So the, the the notion that you like put out a press release that you have a partner program and then like 18 different types of partners walk through the door and then you're like, I want to go serve all of them. They, right. That also does not work at all. You know, that's no. like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of those partner careers come when you have a certain amount of commercial success, right? Like if HubSpot had tried, and we tried, we tried to launch an integration platform long before the one that's there is is live. And it like, it didn't really get much traction because we didn't have good APIs. There weren't, there, we didn't have enough customers to warrant somebody's, you know, development efforts. Like, so if you do all these things prematurely, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. You can't make it work. Um, okay. I do want to come back to one point though. Like it was interesting that like, the minute I talked about a product marketing problem, that Kelly's like, you should go join the product marketing alliance, right? And it's like, communities are designed for connection. Like, I mean, if you really go drill deep down, they should be designed on connecting people over and over again. But we are in a world where, like, our gut instinct is that everything else that's written out there isn't actually true at all. And you should go learn from a community versus like go just go on YouTube and like like there's really good information there too, right? So it's 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 interesting that we're in this world where we actually don't trust anything that's out there except for like 
what are well, it's, it's only going to get worse with AI, right? I think there's too much right. content. There's too much crap out there. So yeah. people are leaning more into, I want to go to a trusted professional, like someone who I can validate for myself that sounds like knows what they're talking about. They have, um, you know, the right job experience that they're trustworthy versus just some rando article on the internet from some random site, often a vendor that you've never heard of. Like it's tough. And I think now that generative AI is up and running, we're just going to have more and more of a content glut, which is going to cause people to lean in actually to trusted either individuals or companies or publications or communities that they are feel comfortable is vetted and they're only getting high quality um, information. Well, so what's interesting is if you were to join the Product Marketing Alliance today, you actually don't know if the people in there are giving you good information or not, right? And so, so for some reason, we're like, hey, I'm going to trust a group of people, right, uh, right away versus expert content that's actually out there because the notion is that like, Everybody's used some sort of AI or something like that. And, and I don't think so. I think it's an appeal to authority. Like if you go into that group, then people have resumes, right? Like they're the leading product marketing at G2. They're, they're a product marketer at HubSpot. Now that's an appeal to authority. All those people could be wrong for sure. You have to use your own judgment, but I think it, it's a practice. It's an industry. And so you're not going to, I would not have thrown out, go to the product market Alliance. If, if I thought that it was a bunch of people who were in college looking to become product marketers. Right. So it, it, it is, a, there is a vetting they, mechanism to these communities. They vet their each other's expertise. Right. And, and, and collectively they have authority. So I think, yeah, because it's not they're they're actually connected to each other and in and they're transparently like i pres- presume on the product market alliance there's a discussion board where people can ask questions and so if somebody puts a bad answer there it's going to be downvoted or the wisdom of the group right that doesn't make sense yeah. or hey my experience is different or or there's going to be five people that say one thing and one person that says another and so i think that happens not just in closed communities but it happens on social as well like i've been really digging into using linkedin um, for the last year. And it's amazing the type of information I can glean um, so quickly from people that clearly have a resume that backs up what they're saying. Um, and then, you know, you can see patterns of what people say. Like I had a post um, yesterday that has like 170 comments on one very specific topic. And there's in there, it's like half the people are, are represent one perspective and half represent the other. And I can really vet out like, why do these people have this opinion? Because one half is doing things one way and the other half is doing things another way. And that's basing, that's what the base of their experience is. And you can't see that from a single perspective of an article that's written by one author, right? You, you can only see that if you see multiple perspectives. Super. What else is top of mind for you? <laughs> I don't know. I would have prepared more if there was if That's okay. I mean, this, this podcast is not designed for preparation. I have a LinkedIn question for you because Pete, you have a very blunt style on LinkedIn, which which I appreciate, but I'll, um, <laughs> as someone who's also pretty blunt, but I think it, it, it does go against the norm. So I, I'd be curious to ask you, um, was that an intentional choice? Is that just like so much your personality that it just flowed out naturally on, on LinkedIn? Right. And have you found it beneficial? Has there been a backlash to you getting nasty DMs? Like, what's the story? Um, no, I've 
I've always been this way. If you talk to anyone that worked with me back in the day, they'll <laughs> know that I was very strong. If you, I don't know what the wiki is like anymore, but like there was rarely a post on the wiki that didn't have me calling out something about it back in the day. I'd call bullshit on Halligan over the wiki. So no, I'm not afraid of, 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 uh, of that. Um, don't recommend calling bullshit on, on your CEO, your CEO uh, yeah. in front of other people. Privately. But I learned that lesson, but I think publicly, I don't, I don't ever make it personal. I always remove names if I'm telling a story, if it's, you know, if it's somewhat critical of them. Um, and um, I have found that uh, by sharing my honest perspectives, which are often against the grain, um, that uh, more often than not, people agree with me. Um, and it's very rare that somebody is, is sitting there saying, no, you're wrong. Um, it's usually when I'm calling out a behavior that they're doing, but they never, they never acknowledge it that way. They're just like, oh, you're an asshole. I hate you. I, I lose respect for you. Like I get those maybe once a month, uh, but I can very quickly see that why they're saying that. Like if I call out cold prospecting, which from my perspective is most companies do it, it's just spam. Um, and the person that says they lose respect for me when I'm being negative and I look at their profile and that's what they do for a living. <laughs> is send spam, um, then like, clearly I'm not going to take much personal offense to that. And yeah, they probably weren't going to do business with me anyway. So, um, so no, I don't get much backlash. It's usually what it does is I'm usually highlighting something that 20, 30, 40% of the population agrees with, but nobody's talking about. Um, and that usually encourages people to say, oh yeah, you're right. Finally, somebody said it. Yeah, which I think that does create like brand loyalty essentially to, to yourself as a, as a brand and a CEO because um, people do appreciate. I think one of the problems with LinkedIn, right, is you get a lot of the same things being said over and over. You can get these echo chambers or also these like hype cycle chambers developing where people sure. all cheering each other on, which is fine. Like if people are getting value out of it, there's nothing wrong with it. But um, if that sort of becomes what people are seeing a lot, then they have like a I think a greater affinity if someone goes against a grain is like hey I'm going to call out some some truths here and, and be be direct and and be real even if some other people don't agree which disagreements don't have to be negative right they can be and like actually it's, highly productive. Clear, like I, I'm willing to take a stand but it's not every one of my posts right I'm usually <laughs> I am positive. It's not, it's not right. running it, Pete. I am trying to people things. It's yeah. like speaking the truth, Pete, over here. <laughs> like, this, we, we probably have to like clean up the, this podcast a little bit. This may paint Pete as like this person that's just like, like this computer, like there's <laughs> all this yeah. frustration yeah. in the world. Thing. That's the word he is. <laughs> I'm very comfortable. I mean, Asher's constantly calling partner people out on LinkedIn left and yeah, right. <laughs> He's like, you stink at partner. You stink at partner. <laughs> But but I but I'm part of the problem. That's why I, I feel like I can I can call uh, I can call people out. Yeah. Is because I was a shitty partner person. I'm assuming at some level I still am a shitty partner person. But hey, if we're all growing in the, in this in a, in a direction that makes a little bit of progress every day, I think we're gonna get there. I agree. I agree. That's the battle. So, all right. So totally, what, what totally. do you think? Like, where does this partner partner movement go now? Pete, you're you seem to be somewhat involved in it, or some from different angles and stuff. Uh, what do it's you think? Funny, I get I get sucked into conversations like these, and like with the the reveal and nearbound guys, and um, I always like kind of reluctantly do it because I'm not. I don't. 
I am busy building a partner program. I am not like trying to sell exactly. partner program consulting. And every time I do one of these, like I get four in my inbox. I'm like, ah, I don't want to be a jerk and say no, but I really don't want to spend time on it. So anyway. Tell them to make a benchmark. So yeah, I am busy building a partner program. I, I think that partner programs are too sales led and I think they need to be more marketing led. I think the first engagement yeah. that partners should have maybe other than maybe a product integration if necessary is co-marketing because um, there's just much more scale that way for both partners. Um, yeah. It also helps to create an inbound funnel. Um, it's a more kinder, gentler way to introduce a partner to your customer base if necessary. Yeah. And so um, I'm leaning very much into that. We've built a product around it. We've built proprietary processes around it. We have a team around it. Um, and so that's where we're really leaning in is, is how do we help each other, you know, gain attention and capture. capture and, 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 you're, and you're right. You're very right about this because traditionally the partner, let's call it like hiring plan has always had partner sales managers or partner account managers. Yeah. Like I, it's like, it's, it's this thing that the channel company teams have taught us, right? But if you look at modern go-to-market, and I think the, this this metric is still uh, uh, true, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, 50%, somewhere close to 50% of a marketing team's budget is spent on paid media, right? Oh, okay. And so, so, so if, if your 50% of your direct go-to-market is uh, 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 marketing budget is spent on paid media, right. why wouldn't... Yeah. Similar ratio be spent on your partner go to market, right. like but it doesn't doesn't make any sense, right? Because you're already doing it over here, and then when you move this way, then you do complete something completely different. Versus just put out a, even a better together whatever story you want to call it, the flavor of the month, right? And put it out in social and see if the workflow actually makes sense to people, and then you, right. and there's a contact that's formed. Yeah, I think, I think the main or really only marketing support your typical partner manager gets is generating leads to acquire new partners, right? <laughs> I mean, partner marketing teams are usually small and off to the side. And, yeah. and I will say in SaaS companies, they almost always report to marketing, but the CMO doesn't particularly invest in it. And then yeah. you have the partner team off there trying to close sales and co-sell and co potentially. So yeah. it is a very under-leveraged motion. And I think... Okay. Um, and, and it's interesting too because you're focused on co-marketing with agencies as a SaaS company, right? Uh, yes, yeah, co-marketing with agencies, consultants. Yep, exactly. And yeah, how familiar to the agency we're doing stuff with, and some creators as well. But yeah. And are the agencies that familiar with it? Because like, looking at the HubSpot ecosystem, you definitely see a couple like SmartBug who seem to be investing and doing it well. But I wouldn't say that you see a ton of um, the agencies. Co marketing, we have to kind of walk them through. We we like we probably do eighty percent of the work. The twenty percent of the work they do is important, but and stuff that we wouldn't be able to do yeah. necessarily. But we're doing a good portion of that work. But we've built this streamlined process and, and similar to the way you would almost sell sell a software product is like we have this like steps that we go through and if it's not done by themselves in our product it's done in like our project management system um in yeah. a pretty standard Th this is great i mean yeah. kelly and i did a report where they were like the number the biggest inhibitor to partner marketing is the planning tax which is yeah. something that oh. our good friend john miller taught us right okay and uh and and ever since then uh, and actually we did this at, at uh 
my friend Liz Anderson, who ran partner marketing at Avalorid, was a firm believer of this too. Like this consultative approach maybe works in partner management, but actually doesn't work in partner marketing. You just have to be prescriptive and yeah. then align calendars as fast as possible and then get in market. You'll have to send me that research. I'd love to, I'd love to reference it. I, I say this all the time. I'm like, most yeah. co-marketing partnerships start with, hey, we look like we sell to the same people. We should jump on a call and see what we could do together. Right. And they're right. like, what do you guys want to do? What do you want to yeah. do? And then, oh, I don't know if that'll work. Maybe that'll work. Yeah, let's do that. And then the person that proposed that thing ends up doing all of the work and the other person doesn't do anything. So and <laughs> yeah, like, that's exactly how it happens every time. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'm very much like, we have a process. If you don't want to follow it, sorry, we're not going to work together. But if you're interested in following it, we'll teach you how to do the stuff you need to do. We'll be very collaborative, but like on these ways, but not in these ways. Uh, and this is your expert. Uh, by, by the way, th this, is what this, is what I call, this is what I call our partner people on LinkedIn is the rigor of all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, going back to Kelly's comment about me calling partner people out, which are like my own people. You know? so, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's the rigor piece of it. It's, it's like we get to revenue and then there's no, no focus on repeatability and then there's no focus on rigor. And if you just move from like, the, I love this trust conversation. It's awesome. But like we need to convert the trust conversation to like research and development conversation and then move to like revenue and repeatability because if you start moving in that direction that's what the CROs and the CMOs are also working on is trying to figure out how do we get repeatability in our motions yep. and then when this conversation happens at this like, let's call it big boy table yeah it becomes much more credibility uh, or it, 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 it comes up more credible uh, because you're working on the same problems that the other people are also working on and you're not like bringing theory to the table when the other people are bringing experiments to right them. yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah no if you if you can do th something repeatable and it produces a result for the business in your partnership yeah. program then yeah you're at the same table yep and is your product for co-marketing together like a through channel marketing automation or is it that slash project management no, so um, so the product that we built to enable the co-marketing is the benchmark groups thing we were talking about before. Um, and so it's kind of like, think of LinkedIn or Facebook. If you were to go and create a group and then invite your 50, 500 contacts to join that group, you're helping LinkedIn grow their audience, right? And gr grow, grow activity on their platform. So ours is the same way. If you build a benchmark group and you add your clients or invite your prospects, it helps us grow our overall audience. We also, since people go to that site and look for groups, and since we market that that, and we market the partners groups, we're also helping our partners get leads. So in a way, we're basically marketing the same thing, which captures a lead for both of us. So that's how it's built in. Okay, so you're working with the owners of the group to essentially showcase their group and vice versa? They're showcasing your platform? Yeah, so, so let's take the, um, the marketing agency that works with mental health clinics. So they built that on our that that benchmark on our platform. They have a group for a benchmark group for mental health clinics. And so when we do co-marketing together, we're both promoting that group. So if one of our marketing activities helps them drive a sign up, that would be a lead for them that we generated. And if they add a new prospect to that group, that would also be a lead generated by a free sign up, right? They're signing up for our free product. Um, so yeah, that's that's Can we, uh, co marketing. Would, would it be to? I mean, this is a very transparent podcast, and we don't prepare anything. For, you know, everything yeah, is live. <laughs> as, as, you, as you can see, right? I was just thinking that you should, because uh, you have Databox, and you should maybe call your community Unboxed and come up with like 
music for part co-marketing campaigns and call it ju- jukebox. You know, maybe this list can go on and on. But the other more interesting question is, you actually went from a salesperson who basically built a partner program to becoming a CEO, right? There were a few can steps you, in between. Yeah. yeah totally, totally. So, so that's, that's, that's Can you t- tell us a little bit about your journey? Because like, yeah. So first of all, I'm an engineer, so I'm very analytical, analytical minded. I did engineering for out of school for a while. Um, then I started a business in 2000. Right. Uh, we built software, and somebody had to learn to sell it, so that became me. So I went and learned. I went and enrolled a 12 month intensive like sales training and coaching program. So I learned how to sell. That's when I joined HubSpot as a sales rep. Once I was at HubSpot and we started building the channel, I became a sales manager while I was managing the program as well. So I was doing program management for the partner program as well as sales management. And then the program kept growing and we kept growing the sales team. So I became a sales director and a sales VP with multiple directors. So, um, and as I did that, I was very close to the whole executive team, right? Because it was a pretty, as I got big, that became a pretty core piece of the um, business. So, and so... Um, so I got involved in a lot of strategic decisions at HubSpot, yep. which, you know, gave me a great, you know, mini MBA on building a SaaS business as we grew it. Yep. Um, so jumping to CEO wasn't totally far and I had done it before, although not very successfully, but I had done it before. And then um, I feel like I got a hell of an education at HubSpot, of course. Yeah. I mean, this is great. I mean, you actually have the, the, the experiences that like stack up on top of each other to actually get you to this point. Uh, yeah. And, and then I, you can I, I almost left HubSpot. I'm trying to remember when, um, probably like at the like 70 million ARR phase or something like that. And, um, and I sat and Halligan had me sit down with David Scott who was one of the board members. I don't think I've ever told this story publicly. And, uh, and he, and, uh, he sat down and he, he didn't say much. He asked me what I was thinking and what I was doing and why I was upset and why I wanted to leave. And, uh, and he basically said to me, he's like, so when did you join? And it was like, I joined at like three, 300,000 ARR. So like below a million in ARR. And he's like, Oh, okay. That's a pretty good story. You went from like one to, you could probably say one to a hundred million. Um, but what would be really great is if you, if you went to, if you saw the whole story, <laughs> uh, I didn't make it yeah. to a billion in revenue. I left before then, I think, but, um, uh, so that's true. It was good advice. He wasn't just trying to sell me on something. It was good advice. Yeah. And I think the long earlier you can start a startup and the longer you can stay, which is kind of a yeah. monumental task. Um, I think the, the quite a bit, quite an edu- education you can get. Yeah. It's no, quite I, a journey I, to change, right? Like that size of company and that transformation, like, because the reality is the personality traits required to be successful in early stage and large company can be quite different. So I'm even impressed when I look around HubSpot now and see how many people have been here for 10 years or absolutely. because I'm like, that company was very, this company, the size, the way it works, the way it was structured, very different than it was. And the fact that so many people have held on to like make the journey, yeah, I the think it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm a firm believer you have to stick around at a company and then like move around a little bit to mm-hmm. get like well-rounded. Uh, the way I got into partnerships was, um, so I came to this country and I went to school for computer science, similar to you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or basically, I, I don't know what engineering you went, but I definitely went for, for to be a software engineer. And and I, I got out and then I'm thinking, man, I have to sit on this desk and code all day for the rest of my life. This, is, <laughs> this does not sound great at all. You know, I mean, this is the, 
And, and, and the only reason why I went to school for computer science was so I could actually understand how technology works. And, uh, and then I always wanted to like figure out how to get the business side connected to the tech side. And if you are the connection point, you'll always have a job. That was kind of my, 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 my strategy. Yeah. So Asher then, made it one week as an engineer. Asher <laughs> <laughs> made it one, one week as, as, as an engineer. And then they were like, hey, we need somebody to do demos for us, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is my life. This is like literally by my line out. And uh, you're like, like, can you come do demos for us? I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to do demos all day long, right? And then, and then literally I, was, I would watch all these salespeople. Like they're just like yapping around, et cetera, et cetera. And then one day, one of the salespersons was, uh, went out on, was on vacation and an inbound for a very large e-commerce company, um, a very large uh, <clears throat> a company came in and they were looking for an e-commerce site, which is what we were selling back then. And I, I clearly remember like thinking to myself, I'm like, well, I'm on this call. They literally are giving me all the signals to like buy and they've literally shared their timeline with me. They shared like everything with me. All they're literally just gonna, all it's gonna take from here is just like ask if they actually wanna buy now. <laughs> so now I'm like, well, like this is gonna break the rules, but like who cares? Let's see what happens. Right? I literally am like on the phone with their CTO, like, hey, uh, it sounds like you guys wanna be live in like 90 days. You wanna start now? And they're like, yeah. And, like, and then and then it is like, is that, I'm like, do you or do you think you're in a position to pay today? And they're like, yeah. How much is it gonna be? And like literally, we used to sell our software for like 25k, and I just said 100,000. And they're like, no problem. Like, just send us the order now. We'll sign it. Asher's like, wow, sales is so easy. (laughs) False advertising experience, (laughs) but. (laughs) This this is actually like like how how that is done. So like, that's how I started. And then then my partnership story is even more interesting. So I I landed at Avalara and uh, and I'm I'm in sales again. And I'm thinking, man, everybody has this pressure to do four deals a month. How do you do 40 deals a month, right? And then, and then our CEO was like, uh, Mufarna was like, well, that's what the partnership team does. I'm like, okay, let's go to the partnership team. <laughs> and I look at the partnership team and they're like, you can't join the team. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you're from sales. You can't join the partnership team because we're like, do very important work. And I'm like, well, what's the <laughs> very important work, right? So like, I was just like, walk, and this is like, there's like 80 employees, you know, they're similar to you. Like it's every, everything's very like open. But like, I think, show me what you actually have, right? Like our quotas depend on it. So let's, let's review what you have. There's like, 116 contracts signed and two partners sending us deals, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> this doesn't sound good at all, guys, right? <laughs> so I, I go to McFarland, right? Uh, and I say, hey, man, you know, everybody on that team is all managing partnerships, but there's nobody monetizing partnerships. And so I think what you should do is you should put me in as the monetizer and then forget this other stuff because I already have a record of track record of monetizing stuff. He's like, deal. If you can get get us to like from four to six deals a, a month, that's actually like it'll change the, the thing, right? So I jump in, and again, like similar typical to what we all call like a very rigorous process today. Like back then, there was no playbook, right? And so I'm like, let's look at all this stuff. Let's get on the phone with all these people. I got on the phone with all the CEOs of the partners, and like, hey guys, like we need to get to this point. I'm, I'll give you whatever you need, but like we just need to get this thing done. And it's got to be done in ninety days. Like put a time limit on them, and then we got to like six deals a month in like six months. And then, uh, and then that kind of started this whole program of how do you work with like ISVs versus just working with like solution partners? Because solution partners have to bring you in. And then, but like, how do you get like 
an ISV to work on, right? And so I'll, I'll share this story and then I think we're like on time, but we'll probably bring another, bring it back again. But then, so so I had a background in Microsoft and Sage, and these are like large, large organizations, right? Like building a partnership with them, that requires like extreme skill, right? And, and lots of years. But then I look around and I look around the, this portfolio of ISVs because Avalar has like 1,200 integrations, right? This is not like some like small thing. Um, I look at like Intact, NetSuite, and Workday. Literally three companies that are in our portfolio that are all headed towards cloud and nobody's caring for them and, and nobody's actually like working on these, these, these plans with them or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. So the year changes and this is like year four of me at Avalara and I was there for seven and a half years. And, uh, and I go and say, hey guys, like, I think I want to go take NetSuite Impact and Workday. And then they're like, why? Well, for one, the initials stand for win. So I'm assuming there's some, some good luck in there somewhere. But for two, like you have Oracle execs and PeopleSoft execs and C, uh, C, uh, uh, Tom Siebel's friends are like in these companies, like they are going to do something. Like it doesn't make any sense that like these companies aren't going to do anything. They've raised like $30 million, right? And so so I get vilified for, for by the entire partner team on this thing by, and they said like my entire career would be like on the line, blah, blah, you know, all the drama that happens, right? So, so, so I, I walk in and, and I literally like park myself in the Bay area and I would travel up here every two weeks for a week and sit in these companies' offices, like literally like sketching out like how their org works, who the execs are, mm-hmm. how the stuff yeah. are, how what their sales process looks like. And I start training every single BDR on how to qualify for Avalon. Because I'm like, the salespeople are lazy, but if the BDRs qualify, you're going to get all these leads coming up anyways, right? Yeah. And so Liz Kane, who's at stage two capital now, used to run the North American BDR team. She had 400 people in our, in our BDR team. She was my first like person who like like I uh, uh, took the risk with me. We trained this entire business uh, team on how to qualify for Avalor. That business went from like 300,000 to like 3 million in like a year. Oh, wow. And then, and then, and then from there, I think that business is worth like 30, 40 million right, right, right now. But that whole portfolio brought Avalora into the enterprise, right? Because that's where right. those, those companies were. Right. Because all those companies sell it to the enterprise. Yeah. So, like, similar to what the, your, your, your story around, like, hey, how do you actually monetize these things? That's where actually the, the, uh, the, the magic is. And now we're in a world where, like, everybody's trying to figure out how to co sell with ISVs. And, like, this thing has been going on for like 10, 14 years. It's actually not that hard. You just look at the, supply chain of, a, of an opportunity, it starts at a BDR and just like work backwards from there and everything will work itself out, right? But now yeah. it does take time depending on how big your company is. Right, yeah. I've never oh, yeah, oh. I've never sold through ISVs at all. It's not something that I've ever done, but um, so it's a bit of a mystery to me, but seems much more aligned with the direct selling motion, right? Because they're really just yeah. a source of, of referrals and they have pre-existing relationships and building relationships, building systems, integrated, all that stuff. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on to our show. You know, yeah. we did the introductions last, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'd love, we love to bring you on uh, maybe like six, seven months down the road and see how you're doing with uh, with your with your company. And I'm sure there's going to be other things that you can talk about uh, that are not related to all the 17 partner movements that are going on right now. <laughs> and uh, we can actually talk about like go to market for that, that, that is, is a little bit more integrated. Kelly, anything that you want to say? No, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure to talk to you and uh, great to meet you. And good to be a HubSpot partner, by the way. Yes. Keep up. up. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Unlearn. 
subscribe wherever you listen and visit unlearnedpodcast.com for the transcripts.